Howdy. Welcome to another episode of Cannon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee. And this week, I add on special recurring guest, Pastor Douglas Wilson, to talk about our new book at Cannon Press, Men in Marriage by George Gilder. It is a reprint from 1986. We're super proud, honored to have it. And the campaign is off with plenty of conflict abounding. So we're talking about that this week. If you're interested in the book, if you want to know more about what it looks like to buy the book, head to dadsareback.com. That's dadsareback.com. Without further ado, Pastor Douglas Wilson. Pastor Douglas Wilson, thanks so much for taking time to be with us. I'm happy to be here once (laughs) once more. I, in my head, had imagined I'd love to get dug in to talk about men and marriage. And this is a a big release for Canon. I wanted to help unpack that idea. And that was before everybody unpacked it for you. (laughs) Everybody went insane. Uh, online, and so I thought maybe they it's got really our, good they, we scheduled. They got this. our suitcase and they've, <laughs> yeah. they've un- unpacked it all over the tra- all over the terminal. <laughs> People are upset, Pastor Wilson. Yes, I, I um, yes. So what I wanted to start with is uh, the first page, the 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 Kindle from a previous uh, from the Pelican Publishing House had not gone down on Amazon yet, and so somebody spent the twenty dollars that it cost and, and put out, disseminated the first page of George Gilder's book, Men in Marriage, which we're republishing. The, uh, subsequently, everyone lost their mind. Right. New feminism just dropped. All of this stuff. It's been very interesting to watch, you know, people who had posted tweets about excited about it or like have deleted them, or, you know, repositioning okay, yeah. their expectations. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, let's say somebody uh, had had read Michael Foster's It's Good to Be a Man. And that right. was like eye-opening. Wow, I grew up in this place where masculinity wasn't celebrated. This has been really helpful. Next thing you know, Canon Press, I've seen the first page. This looks really bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pastor Wilson, what have you done? Yeah. Did you okay this? Uh, yeah. I have, I'll tell you what I've done. <laughs> I've read past the first page. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did this you is, think? Uh, it was a marvelous book. Yeah, okay. So um, back in 1981, okay. a long time ago, um, I read George Gilder's book, uh, Wealth and Poverty. Okay. And I read that book because uh, everybody in the country was reading it because Ronald Reagan had taken it on board. It was a, it was a big thing. It was yeah. sort of a, the book of the moment. And I really liked Wealth and Poverty. And, uh, and I was attuned, oh, man, this Gilder guy is good. Uh, and I was looking, looking around for what, what else has he done? And later that same year, later in 81, I got a copy of Sexual Suicide and read that and really liked it. Now, sexual suicide was sort of the proto version of men in marriage. Okay. And as I understand it, Gilder was not a Christian or he was becoming a Christian in the course of writing it. He was he was emerging from uh, left-wing republicanism, or yep. you, you might call it New England republicanism. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, the Classy repo- sensibilities. Yeah, the blue blood yeah. uh, Mitt Romney kind of okay. thing. Um, and he was emerging from that world. And in his um, 
pursuit of the po- of the point that he was cultivating in sexual suicide, he became the bad boy of the uh, of the feminist movement of that era. He, he was um, upset everybody, but all the all the consternation at that time was from the left. Yeah. Okay. So um, and he and and George Gilder went on to um, he's he he is a remarkable human being uh, technological guru he many people don't realize that he was the force behind a force behind the resurgence of the intelligent design movement and the right. creation evolution uh, debates his um, he had a role in the discovery institute in uh, in Seattle he is um, a, ch- a champion of free market economics and so I've read a bunch of his books uh, over the years and and have been greatly profited greatly blessed by it now the the things that i took on board in 1981 in uh, from gilder yeah uh, blended wonderfully with the sorts of things i'd learned from my father about um, responsibility what what is the nature of um, what is the nature of masculine responsibility and my my Dad would teach. My dad was a Naval Academy graduate, and the illustration I've used before is: let's say you've got a, um, a a seaman, a lowly sailor, who in the middle of the night disobeys his instructions and runs the ship aground. Okay, uh, that he's only got three weeks left in the Navy. He's he's discharged. There might be dishonorable discharge, but he's gone. The captain. Has it's the captain's head that's on the admiral's desk in the morning, yep. Because the captain is responsible. The captain was not guilty. The, uh, the he's not guilty. He's not at fault. He's not to blame. Right. He's responsible. Okay. okay? So this was this was something I learned from my my father, um, and, and the, you boil it down. Authority flows to those who take responsibility. So, uh, if a man wants command of a ship, if a if a man wants command of a military unit, if a man wants to have authority in the company he bought, he has to take responsibility. Yep. Now, taking responsibility is not the same thing as what the feminists are doing when they blame the man. All right. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> okay. So, so feminism says that masculinity is necessarily toxic, and when we're looking around for a villain, we look for the male. Right. Yep. So, um, and so, our our era is has um, sort of filleted men, where they're, they're removed the bones and remove the backbone, because authority flows to those who take responsibility. It's as though feminists want. Uh, men to have all the responsibility but none of the authority and the masculinist reaction to feminism wants men to have all the authority and none of the responsibility okay <laughs> right uh, so a man can come home and where's my dinner and where are my slippers and all of that that's that's his authority yep. right but when ever, anything goes wrong and she leaves um, we would just blame her okay now when she when a wife divorces her husband and most uh, divorces today are initiated by the wife um i'm not arguing that the wife is innocent or the wife has no fault or the wife has no guilt what i'm saying is that the man is responsible because he's the head 
Yep. Right? So responsibility and guilt are two different things. But one of the things that a responsible man does is he assumes responsibility for the failing. Okay. So um, uh, in the book of Job, uh, one of the ways we tell that Job is a righteous man is that he offered his kids had a party and he offers sacrifices up to the Lord because it may be that one of my kids has cursed God in his heart. Um, Job is not to blame. Job is being right. righteous. Right. He's, he, we don't find fault with Job at all. We praise Job for doing what? For taking responsibility. So, so that's what a masculine leader does in his, home, in his marriage first and then in, in his home um, generally after that. Now, how does that – are you seeing this in particular? Or so you, you, your dad taught you that. Where does Gilder come into this so, dimension? Um, so where, 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 where Gilder comes in is he points out a what you might call a societal or psychological or biological mechanism that helps explain how that works. Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, and here's the, here's the argument. What Gilder is saying is that um, because of the way reality is structured, Whenever there's, and we're not approving, I'm using illustrations here, and I'm not approving of the behavior that leads to the illustration, right? Okay. <laughs> um, okay. If, if there is a random sexual account, encounter, okay. some guy picks up a woman at a nightclub and they have a sexual encounter. In that encounter, the man is betting with $10 and the woman is betting $1,000. Okay. okay, and you can't be because a man can be, he, a man can be a father to a thousand children, and not know. Right. Okay. Right. And, and uh, I'm not, I didn't do this. I didn't. Cre I'm just observing the way the way it is. Yeah. A man can be down the road after a series of one night stands and not have any idea how many children he's fathered, and we don't approve of that kind of behavior. We condemn it. We condemn it heartily. But the fact remains, it's possible. Right. Okay. A woman can't be the mother of one child and not know. It would be tough. It would be tough. It'd be very tough. Right. Now I have read cases of a woman being a mother for nine months and and being surprised on the day of. But it's the, a surprise. I mean, it's <laughs> that, she finds out that, but she finds out at some point and then she knows. Right. And even if she goes finds out she's pregnant and goes and gets an abortion, she knows. Right. And this is just um, now this differential, which is a biological fact between the sexes, has enormous ramifications. Okay. Now, if you want the man to take responsibility, if it's in the it's in the woman's interest to want the man to stick around. Yes. Okay. Because if he sticks around, he can help protect her thousand dollar bet. Okay, right. so it's in her interest to want him to stick around, but because of the nature of the differential, because of the way things are, she has very little negotiating leverage. Right, <laughs> she's asking a lot of him. She's asking him to put on the line right. a lot that he doesn't have to put on the line. He could continue moving on this trajectory he's already set. Correct. Now, uh, she's asking him to give up his freewheeling lifestyle. Yep. In order to help her protect her thousand dollar bet, hanging up a motorcycle for the minivan, right? 
Yeah. Right. Don't you want to become a suburban mower of lawns instead of <laughs> instead of a freebooting Viking? Right. <laughs> right. It could be uh, a tough proposition. It could be a tough proposition. Now, again, I'll hasten to add, nobody's approving of freebooting right. Vikings, and you know. But what what I'm saying is the is the uh, wisdom of generations said to the man, "Look, if you stick around, you can be in charge." <laughs> right. Okay. okay. If you stick around, you can be the head of the home. We're going to respect your authority legally. We're going to back you up. You're, you know, we're going to. You stick around, and you can be in charge. Now, I. Uh, this is this is the point where Gilder was so helpful to me. Uh, patriarchy is not um, optional. Uh, patriarchy is absolutely inevitable. Patriarchy is all the way down the multiple choice. Yeah, every every option is patriarchy, and the two basic choices are constructive patriarchy, when the man sticks around and stays faithful to one woman, that's constructive patriarchy, and then you have destructive patriarchy when he's down the road and the kid grows up without a father. What what happens to young men who grow up without fathers? Well, a large percentage of them go to the penitentiary. Right, it's destructive patriarchy. So even if the dad, if the dad stays around and he's hostile, abusive, and that sort of thing, that's destructive. And if he disappears, the empty chair at the dinner table dominates that home growing right. up. It's destructive. Now, what we have done in the grip of our insa- insanity, in the grip of our feminism, I repeat myself. Yeah, we have we have made constructive dominance by men illegal we've outlawed it yeah all right now if the only other option is destructive dominance and we've outlawed constructive dominance what we've done is mandated a disintegrating society right right so um what happens is that if if men um you can see this in first grade in in first grade uh the the girls uh, the the fine motor skills of girls are about nine months ahead of the boys in first grade, which means that girls um, dominate the classroom within the rules. <laughs> yes, they're the, they're the rule followers. They get better grades. They're 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 doing better, and the boys are having trouble holding the pencil. And before that, they're having trouble wanting to hold the pencil. You know, all kinds of yeah. problems. They're behind the curve. So the girls dominate the classroom within the rules. So what happens? The boys are the ones tipping over chairs and shooting spitballs and horsing around. Just throwing the pencils. Throwing the pencils because they're going to be, they're going to dominate. Yep. So if it's not constructive dominance, it's yep. going to be disruptive <clears throat> dominance. Right. Okay. Now, that's and and Gilder um, I think makes this very plain that it's either constructive or destructive dominance when you invite men to come in and run things. Your only alternative to that is inviting them to come in and ruin things. And men are very good at that too. <laughs> yes. All right. Men are, when they're given responsibility and uh, a constructive role, and um, men, we honor your position as leaders, warriors, generals, chiefs, uh, uh, familias, the head of the family. We honor that and we, we respect you and we think the world of it. Men can be prevailed upon to 
stay in a in a world like that. Yep. Okay. But <clears throat> if you outlaw every form of constructive dominance, then men get surly. <laughs> I've the, seen this. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, the, and, and, and men even get surly and attack their very best friend, George Gilder. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, uh, the whole MGTOW um, thing, men going their own way, uh, the men who are so angry and so frustrated and so upset because the only virtuous contribution they could make is against the law. Right, <laughs> right, right. It, it, uh, so what we, what you've done is that all the people who are throwing things and yelling about from the right, the people, the the feminists who are, continue to be upset with Gilder are doing so for the all the old egalitarian reasons, but the people who are angry with Gilder from the right are making his point for him. <laughs> right? right. So I imagine a lot of people have have just heard that and thought, "Yep, like that's." That's I've heard that from Doug Wilson. That is Doug Wilson barrel proof. Right. I've heard I've and I love it. But Doug, what I saw in some of those pages mm-hmm. looks like not like that doesn't look like what you're talking about. Like it looks like Yeah, read the book. I'd say. <laughs> read, read, I'll keep coming back to that. Read, read the whole book. Now, if if someone says uh that's the way he put that point there, that's not the way Doug Wilson puts it. Yeah, fine, sure. But I make a distinction, and I, I just put a blog post up this morning that talks about this distinction at Canon. If you want to know what I think, then look at what I write. If you want to find out what I find valuable, I, I find things valuable from all over the, the sure. place. So um, E. Michael Jones has written a number of things with which I take violent objection, but he's been very, very helpful to me yep. on, on a number of issues. Um, uh, Leon Podolus is a Roman Catholic. Um, yep. I'm a, a classical Protestant, but his book, The Church Impotent, is really, really good. Um, yeah. uh, George Gilder, so if, if someone says, that thing I read on page one is not the way Doug Wilson would have put it, sure. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so one one thing I've I've enjoyed is is this is a criticism from the right and, and there's uh there is an ex, there's it's become a criticism of the response now too. Yeah. You always. had a you had a, a a response about short pants. Yeah. That's not been enjoyed. Yeah. Should I say something about that? Short, short pants. I'm I'm not talking about hot pants, which are <laughs> short. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, hot yeah. pants are very short pants, but you're uh, saying uh, short pants are the what kids wear what little kids wear toddlers. Okay. So when um, <laughs> short, I, I sure. wasn't talking about the time when your grandfather was trying to be sexually provocative. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. short pants is okay. what a little kid would what a little kid would wear. Yes. So. My point was simply, and, and it's undeniable, George Gilder was fighting the feminists back in the day when a lot of these guys who were yeah. upset, when their grandfather was still right. very young. That's, that's the point. This reminded me of the time that you told Albert Moeller not to pull his skirts. Or oh, pulling yeah, this, pull, yeah, and pull. I think they all thought you were making a comment about like, yeah. They're all girls wearing skirts. <laughs> <but> no, <laughs> it's like pearl, like these are uh, pearl clutching. 
Yes. I, I'm not saying you have pearls. Right. <laughs> you pull away, pull away your skirts. I'm not saying you wear skirts. I'm not saying you're a tranny. Um, sure. Uh, and short pants simply means... Uh, toddlers. Toddlers. Pants. So the criticism of the response that I've enjoyed is, I, you know, I think they think... Um, the best thing Cannon could do, the best thing Doug could do is just say, hey, there's stuff in here that's bad. And what I, <laughs> it's not an understatement, I don't think, or an overstatement to say that this, as you mentioned, 1980, this has been a part of the Moscow project or the Cannon project. Some of these paradigms that you've learned decades mm -hmm. and decades. Correct. Maybe in ways that you're not actually sure to how they. I, I don't think I could trace all the, all the influences. So. If, if you want to know the positive uh, impact that George Gilder had and how we, we, you know, obviously we're different personnel. We're from a different doctrinal right. background and tradition, a different situation, different era. Uh, and we ran all that stuff through our filters. Right. right? And, and it comes out in the way that you see developing in Moscow now. All right. So if you say, how does, how would a, um, a reformed Presbyterian Calvinist incorporate Gilder's insights. Well, reforming marriage, federal husbands, standing on the promises, uh, her hand in marriage. There's a whole body of work that's downstream from Gilder where we've taken a number of the things and incorporated them and put them out right. for everyone to, uh, to read and evaluate. And then when we had the opportunity to sort of publish the yeah, uh, publish the source. Uh, man, I j jump at it. This was an important book that was. Uh, I, I think that people should read it, appreciate it, and where you disagree, disagree like a grown up. You're asking a lot, Pastor Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, so one of the uh, one of the aspects that I I did know. You mentioned in your blog you were astonished at the response. Shouldn't have been, yeah. I, yeah. I was mad that it surprised me. Yeah. I do feel a little bit like the kid who who came to uh, show and tell <laughs> yeah. and just super proud of this, super yeah. proud of the relationship, you know, that we have with George. Yeah. The the documentary coming out and then mm -hmm. tomatoes, you know, where you're like, Oh <laughs> uh very you know, should not have been surprised. Um yeah, but there's an important point here. There are times when you're um, when you're provocative and you want to be provocative, and right. because you you want to start the debate, you want to want people to whoa, what was that? Yeah. Um, and if someone assumed that we were trying to goad the right into a reaction, that was just not the case. We thought not the case, yeah, yeah, not the case. Um, one thing, and I've I that I have asked George about. And and I knew I did know going into this that the taming the barbarian was going to uh, people are going to have questions about ruffle the feathers ruffle yeah. the feathers. How, how do you? Well, first, what is George talking about when he says taming the barbarian? And are there ways that you would say that, or how how do you how would you talk about that? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> there are several things. Remember George's role in undermining Darwin. In right. intelligent design, but if you just came to this, pick this book up cold and read *Men in Marriage*, you might assume that he's uh, assuming sort of an evolutionary groping out of the state of nature. Right, right. Um, that would be easy to uh, attribute 
to him. him. Um, and I understand why someone would disagree with that. If I'm a creationist, I'm not a, uh, but I'm a creationist and a Calvinist. Okay. I don't believe that we begin with a state of nature that we evolve out of. I believe that we began with paradise that we wrecked and ruined by our disobedience, which plunged us into a state of nature. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, uh, so consequently, a uh, state of nature is not a uh, stage in evolutionary development. It is the result of the fall, result of the crash. Yep. Now, when you have the, um, male and female created he them, to, uh, the the sexes are exquisitely designed to run together. Yep. When you introduce sin into the picture, what you what happens is the it's not just separation from God. You see the husband and wife separated from each other. The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit, and I, right. I you know, they, they start finger pointing, and and they're all of a sudden their relationship is is adversarial, and the curse that's pl- pronounced on the woman. Your desire shall be for your husband, and uh, there's an adversarial element that is there now. Right, and that adversarial element, uh, and we just have to have eyes in our head and l- look around soberly and say, Eve is the one. She's the mother of all the living. She's the one who is pregnant, who can get pregnant. She's the one who's physically weaker. She is the one who is sexually desirable to rampaging. Yes. bands of yeah. you know yep. so you um all of a sudden so she's exposed vulnerable out there and and selfish self-interested yep and the husband or the excuse me the man is selfish sinful broken and she is the source it can be the source of a great deal of pleasure that he wants from her and when he has gotten that pleasure what's what's tying him down right right <clears throat> now that that situation is um and if he blows down the road then that's a barbarian thing to do right yep. and so how do we tame those that? right how, yeah. how do we how do we get a bit and bridle on that now um there has it's, it's not just enough to say to that group of barbarians over there god's word says this about not fornicating right. yes it does right but they say oh give me this bible of yours and they flip through and the husband's the head of the wife it's christ the head of the church um the husband is the one in authority the women are not permitted to teach so, yep. so the bible is uh, a, a patriarchal book nothing can be done about it now that me what that means is that if i want to entice these barbarians with the no fornication rule and i want to give them a bible they're going to read other things in the bible too and everything they read is going to line up with that deal that i was talking about earlier right if you if you come here and settle down the man who loves his wife paul says in ephesians 5 loves himself the man who sticks with one woman under these terms is blessing himself right Right now, that's and he's blessing himself in ways that are not immediately obvious to twenty-two-year-olds who want to go to the next, <laughs> who want to go to the yeah. next town and find some new women. Right, right. But uh, grandfathers and great-grandfathers who have who are standing in the gates with their sons standing behind them, contending with their enemies in the gates, they know all about it. 
They, they know that there are enormous blessings that come to them from sticking around and loving their wife as Christ loved the church. Right. I, I, I can imagine there's there are Christian men reading this and thinking what he's describing as single men, you know, Pastor Wilson, I've been at Christ Church for a long time. I've seen single men. You raised for a time a single man. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could really attribute attribute those characteristics to the son you raised? Is that the man you raised for 20 years, 22 years? Or What do you say to them that are looking at the, the way George is describing that state of nature and thinking, I've got a great single grandson. What do oh, you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, first, the bar- if you want to look for the untamed barbarian, um, you have to look at when they're two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay, yeah. and every yeah. and every thoughtful man who understands sin and depravity and fallenness understands how he is tempted in his thought life and what would be nice. You know, I'm tired of this and that sort of thing. Um, um, so, the, your job is when God introduces into your household into your family little boys and girls you have to understand the nature of the boys and the nature of the girls is completely different yep. and you want to t- uh, you want the masculinity in your boys to be harnessed and productive not squashed canceled or erased right right you want the um, you want the horse to be as strong as it ever was but to plow a straight furrow Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, and that, uh, and then, then when you do that, and it's done in the next generation. So when I've seen uh, how my son has raised his sons, and I'm looking to the beyond that, y- you have to you have to come to grips with the fact that if you want a wild boy, leave him alone. Just leave him alone. Let the weed grow. Let, let yeah. So. Um, so yeah, you want, and if you see a, uh, an army of upright men who can stand tall and who fight unrighteousness in themselves and outside, then you can you can be assured that the grace of God's at work, and frequently in the nurturing and teaching and instruction that's provided by fathers. That's good. That's good. The one one thing that he talks about that I found helpful just upon a r- arrival. The first time I read it was um, in, in terms of taming the barbarian, where it goes wrong is he talks about being in DC and he would see these young, beautiful women mm-hmm. that would go for men who have spent 20 years with a wife mm-hmm. and how much pr- you know more preferable they were with their social status and economic status mm-hmm. and everything else. And so they forego the young men and as you were saying earlier, the MGTOW thing, I thought George Gilder helped me see from a thousand feet in the air. Oh yeah, this is how those puzzle pieces fit together. Right. Because when that goes, when that happens, the biggest losers are young men mm-hmm. and older women yeah. who are no longer preferable. Right. The older women who are ditched. Yes. For the trophy wife. Right. Right. And the and the trophy wife wants to be the trophy of a rich man. Right. right? Uh, the Eagles Lying Eyes yep. song, right? And yeah, the, so that's a bad business. Right. So how, how do you counter that? Well, it's not just a strong father 
and a strong husband doing this within his own family. What Gilder's talking about is a, a wide range of societal expectations. Yep. Okay, so if a 50-year-old man in a, in a well-ordered society, let's say the economic sexual transaction happens and the, um, the wealthy, successful, accomplished man um, uh, picks up a mistress on the side or leaves his wife who put him through right. uh, law school and put him, you know, did all that. He yep. ditches her and their grown kids for this, uh, this uh, young one. In the old days, in a well-ordered society, he would be wrecking his life with that move. Right. Right. Um, Where he's seen as social status, he would be seen by his peers as, as just a pariah. As, as, as a pariah. Right. Um, and that's where the societal back backup comes comes in. Right. So I'm I'm not that old. I'm a boomer, which apparently is. A I've bad, seen a lot. On, <laughs> which is, oh, <laughs> I've seen a lot I've of been, discussion on Twitter. <laughs> there's a lot of references to that for yes, some reason. Yeah. So I, I'm a boomer, which means that I can remember that I can remember the time when uh, Ronald Reagan's divorce was uh, a, live op uh, a live political consideration on why he wasn't presidential material. Right. Okay. okay. Now, so let's say uh, you had someone who left his wife in some high-handed way. Right. right. Well, uh, everybody just sort of rolls with it, and the, the recent uproar over... Um, the representative, uh, the lady who turned down the, the turned down sex to be at the to make it on time to the prayer breakfast. Yes, <laughs> with her fiance. <laughs> and she's like, uh, uh, who writes this material? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the that that's not the way it used to be. Right. Okay. okay. It used to be that if a middle aged man took up with a young woman and ditched his wife to yeah. uh, to do that was doing some was not just disobeying the law of God although that should be right. sufficient he was also wrecking his business prospects he was wrecking his um, political prospects he was because the society said look we made a deal right right you stay with this woman and and right. you can run the show right right but if you abandon her if you start acting like the freebooting pirate you're breaking the deal I think we're not going to let you run things. That's good. Uh, I have two last things before I let you go. One, one of the things that I wanted to almost end on was, so therefore, Cannon's campaign, or, yeah. or how Cannon thought about, um, man, our people could really benefit from men in marriage. And it was the line that I believe you came up with. It's actually a very hard book to synthesize yeah. to some degree. It's so wide-ranging. It, you know, there's chapters on homosexuality for both men and women and how that's different. The book goes careens all over the place. Yeah. And I think, uh, and we, I think I'd send you an email. I've not seen it synthesized except by you as well as to say civilization is built by men with families to feed. Right. And for us, what I see is an interesting value prop in the marketplace right now is there's a lot of good work being done on masculinity. Mm -hmm. We've published it. We've promoted it. Um, if we can, we've tried to get it on the app if we didn't publish it. So we're all excited about that. But there is something very interesting to the idea that it's nothing less than all of that. But there is a particular man that moves civilization forward. And it's the one who's like, I, I got to get home. Right. I can't stay here and work a thousand hours. Right. 
I've got to go do something that someone might look at and be like, how inefficient is it for you to be playing, you know, on the swing set with a right. kid when you could be at work. Right. But that's, that's what I think is a value prop that Canon finds valuable and one that we think that, and one that we believe in all the way down is that yeah. dads play a sp- specific role in society as dads, not, as just, dads. not, not just as work units at the corporation. Right. Because one of the things that we've discovered, uh, well, we took it, we learned it from scripture, but I've seen it play out in real time. When, when fathers refuse to be, when they do a diligent job and they, they work hard, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before Kings. All right, that's right. that's a biblical proposition. But if he makes it home for dinner, and he inve- and he coaches his son's t-ball team, and he invests in his children, yep. uh, what happens is that a man is blessed with his quiver full of them. The the it's it, that psalm is not talking about the patter of little feet around the house. What a blessing is it. Uh, what a blessing it is to have toddlers on Christmas morning. Well, that is a blessing, but that's not what it's talking about. Okay. What it's talking about is a showdown at City Hall with your sons lined up behind you on your side. Right. Right? You, you've got a quiver full of arrows. They're weapons of war. Right. And so fathers who invest in their sons, fathers who invest in their daughters, are investing. It, the whole proposition is a force multiplier. Yes. Okay. Now, I could have I I made a decision early on that I didn't want to be traveling around the country uh telling people about the importance of family with my kids looking at the back of my head going off at some other thing. Right. So, I've I made a point we structured our our schedules, our lives in such a way as to, I could coach teams and I could teach teach classes. I could I we invested in that and all the work that i could have gotten done (laughs) all the books douglas wilson could have could have written back when i had nothing to say right 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 if i if i have nothing to if i've got plenty of time to go into the study and write a book i've got nothing to talk about nothing to say but because i was spending time with my family with my wife and with my with my kids i was learning things i i had something to say but if i look at all the time quote unquote i wasted right on my kids all of that time has been more than made up by what my kids are able to do and what my kids are able to do together with me, uh, as I contend with adversaries in the in the gates. So consequently, um, it's got it, what we want are workers who are family men. It's it's fathers and husbands who build civilizations. That's good. We'll just end it there. Thank you, Pastor Wilson. All right. Thank you. <laughs>